I'm not sure what to say <laughs> after that introduction, but uh, I guess good morning, all right? We're going to be in 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25, and <laughs> you don't have a Bible, you can grab one underneath your chair. It's on page 657. I'm going to, I'm going to be referring back to the Bible quite a bit and to our text, so I think it would be in your benefit to have a Bible in front of you as I keep referencing back. It really is a privilege to be here and to speak with you this morning. Um, it's an honor that the elders have given me to be able to communicate God's word. This Sunday I love to teach and I love to study, so it's been wonderful a couple weeks for me and I've been really blessed by the study, so hopefully you're blessed by today. So before we actually get to our text, I'm going to lay some foundation that I think is really important to 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25, and really talk about three main points. There's a lot more I could talk about it as I'm laying context to our passage, but I believe these three things will be really important as we dive into our text. And the first one is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, and it is that we are born again to a living hope. We are born again to a living hope. And it says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope that through the resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So as we get into our text and talk about submitting and suffering to unjust authority, it is really important that we keep eternity in mind, that we keep our eyes fixed on what is to come, an inheritance for us that is imperishable and unfading. And this is one of the only ways that you can suffer or submit to unjust authority. The second thing is that we are a holy people. And I stress the word people. We are a holy people. And it talks about this in 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, you've heard this a lot, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once, once upon a time, we were individuals. We were not a people, but now we are God's chosen people set apart to proclaim his excellencies. And this is important for a couple of reasons. Number one is that when we get to our text, if you think this isn't pertinent to me at this particular time in life, I can't see myself submitting to anything that is unjust, well, remember that we are not adopted as only children. We're adopted into a family. And if you look to your right and to your left, we are part of a family, the family of God. So if you are not suffering or submitting to unjust authority, that does not mean that your brothers and sisters around the world and in this room are not. And we are called to bear one another's burdens, as it tells us in the book of Galatians. And the third thing that I believe is really important is that we are a people called out to live honorably for God's glory among all people. I'll say that one more time. We are a people called out to live honorably for God's glory among all people. And this is kind of the purpose, or I would say the thesis for our text, 
and it was last week, it is this week, and it will be for next week as well, and that is 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, and it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, so people without a home, longing for our eternity in heaven, I beloved you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And here it is. Hear this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and give glory to God on the day of visitation. So we are a people set apart that we may conduct ourselves among outsiders in such a way that they see God and give glory to him on the day of visitation. And I believe the day of visitation here is when Jesus comes again. If you haven't noticed yet, God is hungry for glory. And not just among his people that he has already set apart, but everyone in the world. God wants to be glorified. And our job as a people set apart is to conduct ourselves in such a way that those people would be drawn to God and give him glory when he comes again. And that's one of the primary reasons that we're going to do what we are called to do in our text. And those three points bring us to our text. And the big idea for this message, if there is one, is we are supposed to mindfully, and I'll talk about that word a lot, mindfully submit to unjust authority as God's people. So our text today is broken up into two big sections, and I'll talk about them piece by piece. The first big section is leading up to verse 21. Starting in verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. So let's go back to verse 18 and talk about those verses. So beginning, servants or slaves. And this isn't the sort of slavery that we think about in the 18th century. In the first century Greco-Roman world, this is more like a hired servant that could actually, in time, earn their freedom. So for us, connecting today, this would probably be better as employers and employees. And just a side note, just step aside just for a second. Slavery is never condoned in the Bible. I've heard that before, but we know in 1 Timothy 1.10, it says enslavers, so holding people or enslaving them against their will, which is not what Peter is talking about here, but enslavers are contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the blessed God. So the better connection for us would be employers and employees, but some of you right now have just said, oh, my boss is nice to me. He's not unjust. So why do I need to listen to this text? So I think the overarching theme that Peter is trying to get across for our text is actually in 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9. You don't need to turn there if you wouldn't like. 
just listen. It says, finally, all of you, so not just slaves and masters, not just husbands and wives that we're going to talk about next week, not just submitting to the government that we talked about last week, but finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And here it is. You've heard this before. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. We are called not to repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but to bless. And maybe it is your boss that is treating you unjustly. Or maybe it's just a spouse. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. We are always underneath, for the most part, under some type of authority. And we are called to submit to that authority, even if it is unjust. For this is a gracious thing. Peter goes on and says, Servants, be subject to your masters. Subject or submission in our culture is a dirty word. And it's not usually something that is highly esteemed that we would submit ourselves. And from birth to maturity, from Genesis 3 till now, we don't want to submit to anyone. It is part of our nature not to subject ourselves or get in line with, as Frank told us last week, this word subject or submit is to get in line with, regardless of whether you want to, to anyone. And our culture teaches us not to do this. And I would say the cultural idol that we would want to really pick out here is our sense of entitlement, is that we believe that we are entitled to a good life. Part of being an American is that we have rights, and submitting to unjust authority is not part of those rights. That's not something we want to take on as a people. Tom Schrader, the founding pastor of Redemption Gilbert um, during Graceful Citizenship, which is happening here on Wednesday nights, if you haven't come yet, I suggest you come, it's really great. He spoke the first week, and he made an observation which I thought was profound. Growing up, he used to hear President John F. Kennedy say, Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what? Ask what you can do for your country. That's right. And he says, now, and I've heard the same thing, and this isn't making a stance for one presidential candidate or the, or the other, but he's heard Governor Romney continually say, you deserve. You deserve. The people deserve better jobs. They deserve better schools. He's even had people come up to him, grab his arm, and say, I'm out of a job. What can you do for me? Not, I'm out of a job. What can I do for you? I'm out of a job. What can you do for me? And it's only gotten worse, our sense of entitlement as an American people. And not only are we called to subject ourselves and submit, but this word here is so key to this. And this is what separates us from the rest of the world that would subject itself to ungodly authority, and it is respect. With all respect. And verse 17 says, honor everyone. Can you believe that? Honor everyone? 
So not only are we called to subject ourselves to someone that is unjust, we have to honor them. And most of the time, we justify our bitterness or our anger because we are being treated unjustly. And we go home to our spouse or we go home to our friends and we complain about what we endured today, about how we suffered unjustly and we're bitter and we're angry. And that is contrary to the good news. That is contrary to the good news of Jesus that with a mindfulness of God, we are actually able to submit to unjust treatment with our eyes fixed on God and fixed on the sufferings of Jesus. I've heard two people over the past few weeks as I've studied talk about submitting unjustly. And both men who don't know one another have said the same thing to me. They've said, Submitting to unjust authority is not a rule to be followed, but it is a miracle to be experienced. Because outside of the good news of Jesus, it's not possible. (laughs) And you know this, if you're married, you know this. Frank will talk about that next week, so I'll leave that to him. But if you know, (laughs) if you're married, you know this. Outside of the good news, If you are treated unjustly, how do you repay evil with blessing? And we'll get to that in just a moment. Verse 19 says, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For this is a gracious thing. So not only is this evidence, when we are treated unjustly, not only is this evidence of God's grace in your life, and this is grace to you, and this is grace to us as a people, but it's also grace to others. It's a gracious thing when mindful of God. John Piper said that God must enter the room, physically, visibly enter the room when we are suffering unjustly, whatever context that may be for each one of us. That if we are not mindful, and we'll talk about what sort of mindfulness, because he says mindful of God, well, what does that mean? And what sort of image do we want to have of God when we are mindful of him? Well, we'll talk about that just in a second. But we must remain mindful of God while enduring sorrows. And in verse 20, it says, for what credit... Is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So suffering for it, I think a better translation when I studied, is not only suffering for being treated unjustly, but just suffering in general. Just suffering in general. This is a gracious thing that God has given us. And to this, you were called. And throughout most of 1 Peter, it's not always physical, but usually it's just verbal suffering, which we do endure here in America. And in our relationships, we are treated unjustly, and we are called to suffer for it and endure it to this. In verse 21, it says, you were called. For to this, 
you were called. John Piper would also say that it's a Christian's vocation to suffer. And if you're here today and you're wondering, what has God called me to do? I get that question a lot. And I ask myself that question a lot. What has God actually set me apart and called me to do? And now we have an answer. And he's called us to do much more, so this isn't the only call that God's put on your life. But this is one that we can come back to when asking ourselves, what has God called me to do? He has called us to suffer. Thus far, this sounds like great news. This is good news, isn't it? And if we walked away from this right now, and I left the stage and said, hey, just let me pray for you. I just walked off and said, oh, that was a great, that was a great message. Woo, feel blessed. Right? That's like a lot of like mosaic law heaped on us, right? A lot of rules to follow, live up to this standard. Here's something that I've called you to do. Obey it. If you obey it, I'll bless you. If you don't obey it, I'll curse you. But what we must remember is the good news or the gospel is not about what we do, but it's about what has been done. It's about what has been done. And apart from Jesus and apart from the man that embodied suffering unjustly, apart from the gospel, we cannot, as a people, live out this call that God has given us. So now... We have heard the call that God has given us to mindfully submit to unjust treatment and not repay evil for evil, but on the contrary, bless. And now we come to Jesus. So continue with me, if you would, in verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So when we suffer, we are not bearing the condemnation of God. Jesus bore the condemnation of God fully and wholly. When we suffer, God is refining us into his son. From the beginning of time till now, God has longed for each one of us to look like Jesus. And that's how the world may know him, when he sees his disciples. When Peter and John were before the council, they recognized that they were uneducated, unlearned fishermen, but they could see Jesus and they knew that they had been with Jesus. God wants to refine each one of us into his son. And sometimes it happens through suffering. Verse 22, let's continue on. He said he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And if you want to memorize a passage, please, if you just want to meditate, (laughs) memorize a text that you could just repeat to yourself and meditate on day after day, it is Isaiah 52, verse 13 through 53, 12, where it talks about the suffering Jesus to come, a prophecy of Jesus. Frank has already read that in this series, so I'm not going to read it again, but that's almost quoted directly from Isaiah 53. He knew no sin, neither was deceit, 
found in his mouth. I believe most of you know this, but Jesus was sinless. In 1 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake, he made him to be sin. Let me say that one more time. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Rest easy. If you are in Jesus, then you are righteous. Continuing on in verse 23, it says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He would not repay evil with evil, but Jesus blessed. And I know you've heard this passage I'm about to read probably many times. And if you could, in 1 Peter 5.1, Peter says, I am a witness to these things. So when we talk about the sufferings of Jesus, <laughs> Peter was there. He saw him. And I think he is calling each one of us to see him. So please, as I read this and I walk through it, if you need to, close your eyes and just see Jesus in this text. And it comes from Mark 14, and I'm going to begin in verse 55. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree, and some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and had no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And hear this, please. And see him. See him with me. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face, and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. But what does it say later in verse 23? It says, he entrusted himself, or gave himself, to the one who judges justly. And I think a better translation, as I've studied through this, is not just that he gave himself to God, so as Jesus was being spit on, as he was being reviled, he did not repay slander with slander, right? He repaid slander with good. On the contrary, Jesus blessed. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, and he entrusted himself, or he gave himself, to the men that spit in his face. Can you see that image with me? That a man is spitting in the face of Jesus, receiving him with blows, 
And only because Jesus was mindful of God at the time could he say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. As a man spit in his face, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Only because he was mindful of the Father and gave himself to the one who judges justly. And we must ourselves keep our eyes fixed on the sufferings of Jesus and entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. And in light of eternal adjustment, we are actually able to submit ourselves to a just judge. As I said before in 1 Peter 1, we can keep our eyes fixed on eternity. Verse 24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23 says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. And here it is right here, Deuteronomy 21. For a hanged man is cursed by God. So I want you to understand the covenant that God has with us and the covenant that God had with his people. So in Genesis 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham and says, I am going to bless you and I'm going to bless your offspring. But if you disobey me, I will curse you. And it seems to be contradictory. I promise to bless you if you obey me. I promise I will bless you no matter what. I am going to bless you. But if you disobey me, I have to curse you. And what we see in Galatians 3 is that Jesus is the blessing He is the promise given to God's people, and he is the blessing to each one of us, but he is not just the blessing. He is the curse. Cursed is any man that is hung on a tree, cursed by God. So what you and I did is we gathered up all our sins. He himself bore our sins. We collected them in our arms. What we've done in the past what you may do today, what you may do in the future, you collect your sins, you put them on the shoulders of Jesus, and he was cursed, and he was crushed for each one of us. And don't just think of yourself as the one that is crying at his feet, but ashamed you hear your mocking voices call out among the scoffers. That each one of us partook in the sufferings of Jesus And our sins now rest with him if we believe. That we might live to righteousness, as it says in verse 24. We do not often equate or connect living righteously with suffering unjustly. Righteous living to God is submission to his call and following in the footsteps of his son. And then it says in verse 24, He himself bore our sins, we just talked about that, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might 
die to sin and live to righteousness. As I said before, if you have given your sins to Jesus, you are righteous. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is quite a contrast from verses 19 and 20, where it says, if you suffer for doing bad, what good is this to you? What credit is this to you? But if you are beaten, so physically injured, if you are physically hurt for doing righteousness sake, this is a gracious thing. So how now is it telling us that we're healed? How do we connect being healed with actually being physically injured? Well, I think the man that wrote the letter gives us the best connection because I didn't read on in Mark 5, but if you do, you see that Peter, just a few moments later, denies Jesus. He walks away from Jesus and says, I never knew him. He walks away, he weeps, he goes back to his old profession, and Jesus comes after him. And he forgives him. As far as the east is from the west, Jesus separates what he did wrong and how he denied him away. And Jesus heals him. Jesus heals Peter. And what this does is allow Peter to endure unjust suffering. At the beginning of the book of Acts, I just mentioned it a second ago, Peter is standing before the council and the high priests. And they charge him not to speak anymore the name of Jesus. You cannot speak in this name anymore. And Peter says, we are bound by God. We have to speak. We have to speak the name of Jesus. And they leave rejoicing. So Peter finds himself with the apostles back before the high priest in the council in Acts 5. And he says, but Peter and the apostles answered. So this is them standing before the council and the priests. And they said, we charged you not to speak in this name anymore, but still you're doing it. And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And you are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given those whom obey him. So Peter goes away and then later on in the text they call Peter and the apostles back in. And they were called back in. They beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left. So Peter and the apostles, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Let me just read that one more time. They left after they were beaten physically, physically injured. They left. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Peter was healed spiritually. His soul was fully, completely, wholly righteous. 
by his wounds he had been healed and that freed him up to suffer unjustly. And it is hard for us to make that connection to being physically beaten, but I don't think we have to search very far in our day-to-day lives and in our interactions with our coworkers, in our interactions with our employers, with our friends to understand that every so often we are treated unjustly, verbally most times. And how do we repay? Peter rejoiced. If we can just see the fact that when we suffer unjustly and we don't repay that with slander and we don't repay that with gossip, we repay that with rejoicing and seeing it as a gracious thing in God's sight, that's the good news is that we are actually able to do this. So I want to conclude with two things. And we've already talked about these and just answered two questions for us before we leave here today. So the first one is, why submit to unjust authority or suffer unjustly? So why submit to unjust authority? And number one, we've talked about these, number one is because we are called by God to line up with suffering unjustly as a people. Remember, as I talked about in the beginning, so not just you, we're not individuals anymore. We're a people, a holy nation, called out by God to bear one another's burdens. It is a witness of God's glory to suffer unjustly as a people. As I said before, we keep our conduct among outsiders honorable, and we don't repay slander with slander, but we honor that person so that the person we are honoring, if it's a boss that is treating us poorly, may see Jesus and give God glory on the day of visitation when Jesus comes again. That's our longing. And that's what allows us to say, Father, forgive them. (laughs) They know not what they do. And I think this is the most important thing, and Paul talks about this in the book of Philippians, is that when we suffer as a people, or when you suffer individually, this draws us to Jesus. It forms an intimacy with Jesus that is hard to find elsewhere. And that's why we serve, as it says in Hebrews, a high priest that is able to sympathize with us. Because when we suffer unjustly, we remember we can't comprehend (laughs) unjust suffering. Being mindful of Jesus, we can't comprehend unjust suffering. And this allows us to draw close. Some of the darkest times in my life, and I'm sure you'd hear testimonies like that, was some of the greatest intimacy I've ever felt with Jesus. He was right there next to me. And I knew it right? It draws us close to Jesus. The second question I want to answer is, how are we able to submit? So we just said why we submit, and now it's the how. So how are we actually, as a people, able to submit to unjust authority? And I just said it, is number one, we must be mindful of Jesus. If you lose the man that embodies the good news then you lose the faith. You have to see him. Christianity cannot exist apart from 
the man that was Jesus. He is Christianity. And his sufferings are the way that we endure. We have to be mindful of Jesus and follow in his steps. We look back at his sufferings, and as I said in chapter 1, we look forward to our inheritance. And the second thing, and I'm going to end with this, and it says this in, what verse does it say then? 24, verse 24. It says, by his wounds, you have been healed. You must be healed. We talked about that with Peter. Peter was able to endure because he was healed. And if you have seen Jesus today, and you don't know him, and I talk about this intimacy with Jesus, and you don't understand what I'm saying, but you have seen him, I plead with you to be healed. Lay your sins, everything that you've done in the past, all the burdens and the curse that you have bore from the past, everything that you're enduring this day, everything that you're going to do in the future, gather it all up and rest it on the shoulders of Jesus and you will be healed. At the end of the service, there'll be some of us up front. Please, don't leave here today if you do not understand what I'm talking about and the healing power of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. All praise, all honor, all glory belongs to you. You that knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. You were perfect and you bore the curse that was meant for us. We praise you and we exalt you in this place. God, as a people, we don't long to suffer, but you have called us to suffer and we want to obey because we love you. So please give us strength by the power of your Holy Spirit to endure suffering when it comes into our lives and not repay evil for evil, but on the contrary, bless. We have been blessed, and may we be a blessing. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.